0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nyman Ranch. I'm Paul Willis, a fifth generation farmer and co-founder of Nyman Ranch Pork Company. Learn more about us at nymanranch.com.
2: is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider.
0: Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States.
2: From the science of fermentation...
1: So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding
2: of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, this is Lisa Held coming to you live from Full Service Radio at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Today's guest is David Haight, the Vice President of Programs for American Farmland Trust, or I'm going to say AFT. It's going to be easier to say that for the rest of the, the episode. Um, I invited him on the show to talk about a program AFT just started that is designed to offer some support to struggling dairy farmers. David, thanks for being here.
3: Hey, Lisa. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a real pleasure.
2: Um, I'm happy to have you in studio. We've been doing a lot of call-ins lately, and it's just so (laughs) nice to have a real person. Um, And we almost started the show late because we just started talking so much about dairy farms in the Hudson Valley. (laughs) Um, which, and it's funny, like, you know, you and I were just talking about these farms in the town that I grew up in, in mm-hmm. Warwick, New York, and, and you were saying all this, the, this interesting stuff about the work they're doing. And I don't even know that much about it now because I don't live there. Sure. And it makes me want to go back and kind of, you know, reconnect to that uh, whole heritage. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And also eat the ice cream from Belleville Creamery. <laughs>
3: um, if anyone's listening. It's a majestic place.
2: It's a beautiful, beautiful place where the farm is not even a mile from uh, the, the actual creamery where they mm-hmm. sell the ice cream, and it is the best ice cream. Um, they've actually won a bunch of awards, even for, yeah.
3: You know. Yeah, and they're one of like many uh, dairy farm families that the, the farm's been in their family for uh, more than a century. And yeah. And so you think about, you know, part of the landscape that's been there, what feels like forever. Right. Um, sometimes we take it grant- for granted, yeah. and we just think they'll always be here.
2: Well, and a lot of other dairy farms in Warwick um, in the time that I was living there and since then have disappeared. Sure. And they are a farm that, you know, created this value-added product, started mm-hmm. making ice cream. And, I mean, I don't know the financials of the farm, but I can tell you that Creamery is thriving. I Sorry. mean, in the summer, you can't, you have to wait an hour for ice cream. So, sure. hopefully it's, it's really sustaining their farm.
3: Yeah, and, you know, New York is a place uh, that, like many parts of the country, you have a lot of dairy farms. Uh, you also have a lot of eaters. Mm. Uh, and if you can, you know, build a more direct connection to some of those eaters for, for the right family, that could be a real way to, to make a much better living from your land.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So so I think it could be a good place to start is, um, you know, where we sort of jumped into this conversation about dairy farms, but, you know, American Farmland Trust focuses, Is primarily on farmland protection and preservation. So how does helping dairy farmers with some of the financial realities that um, exist today fit into that?
0: Great
3: question. So, you know, for the American Farmland Trust, we're we're perhaps best known for our tagline, uh, no farms, no food. Mm. Uh, But, you know, really by our mission, we're really focused on saving the land that we feel is vital to sustaining our, our planet. Uh, by protecting farmland, promoting good stewardship of that land, and ultimately keeping farmers mm-hmm. on the land. Um, you know, you can't have any farmland without farmers. Right. And so for us, the, the partnership with Chobani is a very direct way where we can uh, take action to help farm families that are really grappling with some very, very difficult circumstances. And, um, you know, ultimately, this is about helping to uh, help those families, you know, make a better living. It's about helping them as they're grappling with the transfer of farms between one generation and the next. Uh, And also dealing with uh, severe weather, climate change. There's so many factors that are coming to bear on farm families, uh, particularly in in the dairy community.
2: Right. Absolutely. So this program in particular um, is going to be... These small grants Uh that are going to be given out to dairy farmers. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how this whole thing is going to work um, first. So $10,000 grants going to dairy farms, right? Um, How are they going to be allocated? Who's getting these grants?
3: Uh, Great question. I guess I I want to point out that we're doing a lot of things to help dairy farm families. Hmm. The the collaboration with Chobani is one really specific example that we're really excited about. Uh, With Chobani, we are... Uh, uh, bringing a new yogurt out uh, onto store shelves across America. Um, and uh, Chobani is going to be donating a portion of the proceeds from that yogurt to right. the American Farmland Trust. Uh, and then we are going to be using those dollars uh, to really help farm families uh, plan for transitions that they're facing. Uh, so those transitions can uh, really take place in, in one of four forms that we're, we want to help families with. Uh, one is uh, with business planning. Uh, you know, we're all uh, in this community, very aware of the challenges uh, dairy farm families have faced with low milk prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, grants are going to go towards uh, helping families develop farm business plans, maybe for doing value added processing uh, like Belleville Farms, mm-hmm. um, doing things like um, developing farm transfer plans, right. recognizing that basically one in three farmers in America is over 65, and that includes a lot of our dairy farmers. So one of the challenges people are, are grappling with is, you know, given the low milk prices and the current economic environment, how do we plan for what's going to come next? Um,
2: so and, it could be a transition even out of dairy.
3: Uh, potentially. Mm. Um, it could be certainly for the business. It also could be just for the farm um, and the farmland mm. and developing things like wills, health care proxies, some of the, the legal instruments, the business plans. Uh, we're also going to be helping families that want to protect their land. Uh, we know that for a lot of dairy farm families, uh, th- actually protecting your land and getting paid to protect your land can be a way to tap into the equity.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, a lot
3: of uh, farm families are uh, land rich and cash poor. Right. A lot of their equity is literally in the ground. Yeah. And the f- classic farmer retirement plan is to uh, to sell your land to whoever will pay you the most.
2: Which is almost always a developer.
3: Yeah. And in a place yeah. like New York, you know, we've paid the, there have been... Five thousand farms paved over uh, since the 1980s, right. and dairy farms are a, a significant part of that that history. Uh, so, we want to help dairy farm families uh, help protect their land. And then, lastly, uh, we recognize that climate change is a crisis and that farmers and how they care for their land are a critical part of our society's response to that. And so Mm -hmm. we want to help uh, dairy farm families uh, plan for using climate-smart farming practices or generating renewable energy on their farms in a way that's compatible with agriculture.
2: Right. So... So that's sort of the, the background um, on what you're going to be helping yep. those farms with. So, But how do farmers actually access these grants? Is it something they apply for?
3: Yeah. So we're going to be coming out um, early uh, next calendar year with some specific grant guidelines and then an application form. Okay. Uh, so the yogurt's going for sale now. And as the proceeds of those yogurt sales come in, we're, we will start uh, making those grants available in early 2020. Okay. Um, and those grants are going to primarily go to uh, to dairy farm families. They'll have to apply themselves. Um, And they'll have to tell us uh, what type of service they want to access Mm. business planning, farm transition planning, uh, renewable energy, and then we'll help them hire a professional that could help them develop plans to pursue one of those goals.
2: That's what I was going to ask. Do you have like does AFT have people on staff that work directly with the farmers or do you just like refer farmers to different people? Or services?
3: We, we have experts on staff. In this context, we're primarily going to be paying for other professionals mm. to help. So again, these could be lawyers, accountants, financial planners. In some cases, they might be staff for a land trust. Uh, they could be a renewable energy expert, could be a marketing expert. Okay. Uh, we really want to provide a lot of flexibility uh, to really help dairy farm families with the specific challenges uh, they're facing.
2: Right. And in terms of um, how big this program is, will it depend on um, the amount of money that is coming in through the sale of the yogurt, or yeah?
3: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the amount of money that we can grant uh, will absolutely be linked to the amount of yogurt that gets purchased.
2: Okay, and um, I know you said it's going to be you're going to start giving them out in 2020. So, Mm -hmm. will it just be one round?
3: You know, we're that's certainly the plan is to have that roll forward in, in for 2020, and then we'll see where things go. I think uh, this is a partnership with uh, with Chobani that we certainly will, will hope will extend in the future, but uh, we know that we're going to have these available in, for for 2020. Right, that's for sure.
2: Um, when you were coming up with this whole program, like, what were some of the things you were thinking about in terms of how to design this program to make it? Really effective and really meet the needs of the farmers that you work with?
3: Great question. Uh, I guess one, um, we want to be flexible. Uh, That dairy farm families are, you know, yes, they have some common ties that they are all producing milk, (laughs) but the way they, uh, the size of their farm, how they produce milk, uh, the business opportunities that are in front of them, their family circumstances are all inherently very different. And so we wanted to, A, be flexible. Uh, uh, we also wanted to allow families to kind of get the, the specific type of professional help with someone that they were comfortable with mm-hmm. and that was local to them. And uh, so if you were a dairy farm family uh, in part of the Western United States, uh, we wanted you to be able to access services that were really right for you. We didn't want to have somebody that was 3,000 miles away mm-hmm. trying to help you in your uh, community. Um, and then... We recognize that, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, uh, families might say, well, geez, just write us a bigger milk check. <laughs>
2: I was, I'm going to get to that. I'm definitely going to ask you that question.
3: <laughs> and, you know, we would love to write yeah. a bigger milk check. We just don't have, we don't have that scale of resources at our fingertips. Right. And so we were.
2: AFT doesn't. Yeah. We, right. yes,
3: we the American Farmland Trust, we, the American people, right. uh, perhaps do. But, um so we really wanted to try to help farm families do more than just uh, put a, a short-term Band-Aid on things. We really wanted to try to help people access some help that would really help them for the longer term be in a, in a better a better place. Mm. Um, so find kind of longer-term solutions for
0: their situations.
2: Right. I want to get more into um, some questions about... Um Milk prices and, but, but I'm gonna wait for a second because it's gonna be a longer conversation, and I want to wait <laughs> to the break. But I, you mentioned one thing I want to quickly kind of um, just just ask about. So one of the things you mentioned that could help um, farmers is renewables, mm-hmm. um, and we were talking a little bit before the show about solar. Um, yep. Is there a big potential there? Do you think for um, for dairy farms or just small farms in general to Um, not only decrease their costs, but potentially make money on solar energy?
3: Yeah, I think if you look at uh, the states where there are large concentrations of dairy farms, Mm -hmm. um, there are also states that have made really significant commitments to renewable energy. So states like California, New York, Pennsylvania, Vermont, Wisconsin. You know, the big dairy states are also states that are a part of the U.S. Climate Alliance. So they're really aggressive on climate and they have big renewable energy goals. So there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, push for getting renewables on the ground. And the big question, you know, you could assume that probably farms and farmland will be one of the locations that will be targeted for those. Right. So the question is kind of where and how. And uh, so where, you know, uh, for some states, um, for better or for worse, not all land is created equal. Some of it Mm -hmm. is is just less productive. And so that 25-acre, more marginal field could actually be a great place for right. putting some solar panels and bringing lease income to that family as a, a source of off-farm revenue to help keep their farm uh, family uh, and meet their needs. Yeah. Um, so where really matters, because uh, the scale of some of these projects is potentially really substantial. Uh, by some estimates we've seen in, in individual mm-hmm. states, again, like, like New York, Uh, it might be 100,000, 150,000 acres of solar developments that could happen by 2030 to meet the state's renewable energy goals. That is a huge amount of land.
2: Right. Well, and there's this, like, tension between sometimes, like, good farmland is used, right, for solar, and then it's this weird situation where it's like we need solar, we need renewable energy, right, but we also don't want farmland to disappear. Yes. And, um... So, yeah, I guess in my mind, I've been thinking a lot about, like, trying to figure out how farmers can be involved in that process. So maybe, like, they're farming some of the land, but then, like you said, the land that is not necessarily the most productive is put into solar.
3: Yeah. yeah, in American Farmland Trust, we've done a, a, a lot of trainings for communities because it's both the landowners that are grappling with these questions. Mm. Uh, a lot of communities yeah. are struggling with, they haven't seen anything like what is being proposed in mm. their community. And so... It, you know, by some estimates, um, you know, in New York, there were uh, nearly 100 communities that established moratoria right. against solar developments because uh, they were just so concerned that they, they couldn't manage them thoughtfully. So there's a thirst for getting the renewables on the ground, but doing it right mm. and getting them put um, on the ground in the right places. And then also looking at how, because um, there are opportunities people are experimenting with, with the idea of uh, dual use. Basically, allowing solar panels, maybe elevating the panels, maybe having them a little mm. bit more distributed. We'll. I, I think that's that a, stuff is
2: still like kind of in development, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's
3: kind of the holy grail. Yeah, <laughs> frequently like sought, yeah, uh, rarely found. But um, it is it is an example, though, of where uh, if we're intentional, um, we can both you know, meet some of our climate goals and help farmers make a better living from their land. And we shouldn't have to sacrifice one in order to get the other.
2: Right. Absolutely. Um, Okay. I think that's a good place. We're going to take a little break when we come back more with David Haight from American Farmland Trust.
1: My name is Paul Willis. I'm a fifth generation hog farmer and I owned and operated the Willis Free Range Pig Farm for over 41 years. I've dedicated my life to revitalizing sustainable hog farming methods in the Midwest and moving farms away from the common industrial practices. In 1998, I established the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. I'm proud to say Nyman Ranch has since grown into a network of over 740 independent family farmers and ranchers today. At Nyman Ranch, our animals are raised with care. We believe that the quality of an animal's life impacts the quality of the meat. Our high standards were developed with the help of animal welfare expert, Dr. Temple Grandin, and are among the strictest in the industry. All of our animals live outdoors or in deeply bedded pens, and they're never given antibiotics or added hormones ever, and are only fed a high quality 100% vegetarian diet. Whether they're raising hogs, cattle, or lamb, Nyman Ranch farmers and ranchers share our commitment to traditional farming, raising livestock in the way our parents and grandparents did, and supporting our rural communities. We share a common belief that humane and sustainable methods produce the best possible flavor. Learn more about our work at Nyman Ranch at nymanranch.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio
0: Network has plenty more. It's Todd Shulkin, the host of Inside Julia's Kitchen here on HRN. Inside Julia's Kitchen carries on Julia Child's legacy, of introducing the brightest lights in the food world to a wider audience, just as Julia did from her home kitchen. Look for Inside Julia's Kitchen wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All
2: right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with David Haight. From American Farmland Trust. We've been talking a lot about um, some of the struggles farmers are facing, farmland preservation, and specifically this partnership that AFT is working on with Chobani. Um, And leading up to this episode I've been thinking a lot about um, this partnership and actually funny enough like Chobani was just like in the news yesterday for Mm -hmm. a bunch of um, new things they're doing including oat milk which is a whole other thing we could get into. But they're also, I think, going to do fluid milk and not just yogurt. Anyway, that's un- unrelated. Um, how? Well, it's not unrelated, but um, not what I necessarily want to talk about. Um, I just have been thinking a lot about Chobani as um, a buyer and a processor. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I asked around a little bit. I have this sort of network of dairy farmers in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them call me, email me. <laughs> a lot, sure. um, which is great. You know, they're sort of looking to me to, to get the word out about things. And I, I just did a sure. quick kind of um, ask around. And, you know, it's, it seems like Chobani isn't necessarily seen as a, a bad player, but mm-hmm. is not necessarily better mm-hmm. than other buyers. Um, I don't see that they're paying more at the farm gate for the milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, so of course my mind goes to, well, if the farmers were just being paid a fair price for the milk... They wouldn't need grants, right? They wouldn't need um, charity. So these are not fair questions to ask you, mm-hmm. David Haight yeah, <laughs> of yeah, AMT. Yeah. Um, these are questions for Chobani. Sure. Like, why, why aren't you paying more for the milk rather than donating um, money that will then go to the farmer? But I, wanna, I, wanna, I, I feel like we need to talk about it, and I'm just curious um, if you can talk a little bit about if it's something you considered in terms of setting up the partnership.
3: Yeah, it, it absolutely was. I think uh, corporate partnerships uh, for a charity are incredibly powerful opportunities. Um, they can also be uh, uh, fraught with uh, peril. Right. Uh, so you, you want to enter into them uh, very carefully and very intentionally. Right. Um, you know, Chilbani represents one of those places of actual of growth and consumption of dairy products. So right. you're, it is true. Um, actually I, I won't speak to the price of their pay, their, their producers. I haven't seen, um, that, that breakdown, but, uh, the amount of milk that's used in new york for greek yogurt we're the largest greek yogurt right producing state in the country now um absent that with the reduction in, in american consumers and drinking like people
2: aren't drinking milk but they yeah. are eating yogurt
3: yeah so mm-hmm. uh, they're creating a market that mm-hmm. these dairy farm dairy farm families absolutely need right um and the 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 milk marketplace is uh, a place fraught with peril that small changes in demand or changes in supply can have huge impacts right on price. and it it is uh, hard, I think, for the average American to imagine going to work for two years and working overtime shifts and then actually to end up with having lost losing money significant amounts of money, right. That's a hard. Uh, place for the average you know, American to to gra- to put yourself in those shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where you know many dairy farm families have been right. and so uh, do we need marketplace solutions? Yes, absolutely. yeah uh, I also though uh, think that there is a an important place in addition to those marketplace solutions for charity. Uh, because farmers provide a lot of value to the public that doesn't get reflected in their milk check. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, you know, dairy farmers manage nearly 20 million acres of land in America. You know, Their decisions about how they care for their land has huge impacts on water quality, on climate change. There are huge values that these families are providing to the public that they do virtually free of charge. Right. And so uh, the public has a direct benefit in helping to keep those farmers on the land not mm-hmm. just for the sake of those farm families but for the good of the public
2: right well and it, it, so it seems like there's there's we need both right like in the meantime you know if if these families are struggling AFT can help them face some of those challenges and get you know maybe back to a place that is not so difficult um and then but then long term um what are some of the solutions that you're thinking about in terms of just you know, these small, small dairy farms, but just small farms in general, in terms of farmland preservation um, for the future?
3: It's a great question. Um, You know, when you look at, again, the states where there's a lot of dairy farms, there are also states where have been huge, there's huge real estate uh, development pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, And When farms feel like they can't make enough money, they feel like they have no other choice but to sell the farm to whoever will pay them the most. Mm. Uh, One of the reasons why the American Farmland Trust has been such a a strong voice for public funding to pay farmers to protect their land is because it gives farmers an option. Yeah. Uh, So the last farm bill, Uh, put roughly $200 million a year into the uh, federal uh, agricultural conservation easement program that provides grants to help farmers across the country in putting permanent conservation easements on their farms. Mm. Uh, We've also been a a major advocate for states uh, in helping states uh, develop those types of programs. 28 states around the country now have those types of dollars available. Uh, In some of those states like New York, New York just made uh, nearly $20 million specifically available to dairy farm families Mm -hmm. so that they could protect their farms. Importantly, though, there's a recognition that these projects provide an opportunity for equity investment. Essentially, farmers are tapping into into the equity in their land and they're able to uh, protect their farms and use that money for something else. Right. To create a retirement fund for mom and dad so kids can buy the farm from their parents. You know, if they want to modernize uh, their uh, dairy infrastructure, if they want to move their business in a new direction Mm -hmm. and start a new enterprise, this provides them with some of the capital without having to take on more debt. Right. And so those land protection programs can be really critical in helping to capitalize new opportunities for dairy farm families.
2: Yeah, are, there, are you seeing any interesting new opportunities like um, dairy firms that haven't been able to make it work that are doing new things like growing different crops doing like it, that's something people always say to me, well why can't they just switch to something that people are buying? It's obviously not that simple. I mean <laughs> the infrastructure, the you sure. know, the, you have a herd, you have it's just and you know a lot of people it's also part of your heritage. you've been doing it for generations. Sure. Um, but in the market. Are there opportunities that you're seeing that farmers are taking advantage of in terms of, like, things that will, for the long term, allow them to keep the farm more profitable?
3: Yeah, I I think there are a lot of different answers. There Mm. will be no single one that's going to be the most impactful for any farm family. Um, Certainly, we see some families that are doing things, you know, particularly on the smaller side. You know, they're doing value-added processing. Mm. Uh, you know, there are some shining stars of examples of, you know, kind of direct, you know, people bottling milk again and doing direct yeah. retail. Uh, some are developing new income streams. That's where things like renewable energy and some of those other uh, revenues uh, can be really meaningful uh, for dairy farm families. Uh, we see also, you know, um, certainly uh, in, in parts of the country, uh, farmers starting new types of uh uh cooperatives to uh, process their dairy products and retain some of the geographic identity Mm. of the place uh where they're producing them so being able to uh, tap into some different type of uh, institutional markets uh so you see a lot of pathways going forward for dairy farm families um are any of them easy (laughs) no Mm. uh and you're you are totally right lisa that uh If you had hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially millions of dollars, tied up into buildings, animals, equipment, and then you had all of this incredible knowledge about how to produce something, uh, it it could be hard to change. And and many families feel like they don't have the the financial resources.
2: Yeah, and yeah, and also some of the it's it's not like a if you have a small dairy farm in New England, you can't necessarily be like, oh, I'm going to grow. Uh, soy for soy milk, right? Like there, there's. I think a lot of people don't realize that you know a certain farm, a certain area is set set up for um, a specific kind of agriculture. And yeah, it, it's a it's a tough switch to just. You, you can't just expect people to start growing whatever people want to eat or drink. I guess in this case, yeah, ab- right?
3: Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Uh, you know, there are some new. You know, certainly see people excited about. Hemp and a lot of other Mm -hmm. new products, Um, and I think one of the challenges is to to find the products and the opportunities that are are, are meaningful on the scale of uh, farming that is associated with dairy, particularly in states like Wisconsin, New York, Pennsylvania, where you know, half or more of the farm economy is linked with dairy. This is not a trivial amount of land and economic oper- activity that's associated with dairy production. So this is this is a really big part of, of, of who we are in a, a farm community in many parts of the country.
2: Yeah. I just saw a guy last week do a presentation about how he was a contract chicken farmer. This might sound unrelated, but it's not. <laughs> He's a con- <laughs> contract chicken farmer for 20 years yeah. growing for Purdue and got, wanted to get out of it, got out of it. And you know, one of the big things with chicken farming, it's the same, similar issue to dairy is that the infrastructure, they have these huge barns. It's like, what sure. are you going to be able to do with that? Sure. And he started growing hemp mm. and he's doing outdoor hemp. And then he's doing all this indoor growing and like seeding and all this stuff in this barn. And he showed pictures of the inside of it. And it was so cool. It was like, oh, here's a really interesting application of this space, you know? And, I mean, it's, again, it's one one example, but it's just, it was hopeful in that, you know, it was he he was sort of in control of the whole operation and feeling really good about the future of his farm. Um, so it's always nice to see that.
0: Yeah,
3: absolutely. And you certainly you, you can imagine things like pivoting towards other type of pasture-raised livestock, like, you know, beef and other types of, um, of animal agriculture, which, uh, part of the challenge in, in parts of this country, uh, like the upper Midwest and the Northeast, is that the land actually is, is somewhat limiting. Mm. That, um, or uh, It is appropriate for grass and kind of more perennial crops, but uh, you can't just grow vegetables everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and so some of that land is really well-suited for, for animal agriculture, and so pivoting towards some of those other opportunities makes, makes a lot of sense.
2: Perfect. So before we wrap up... Um, are there any other projects at AFT related to farmland conservation that we should be looking towards?
3: Boy, there's a lot of things that are on the horizon. Uh, a couple of that I'll, I'll, I'll touch on really quickly. Um, uh, first, uh, the American Farmland Trust has been uh, working for the last three years with the uh, United States Department of Agriculture to do the most comprehensive analysis ever conducted of America's farmland. Uh, we've been mapping where the most productive Uh, versatile and resilient uh, land for farming and growing food in this country is and threats to that land from real estate development and climate change. Uh, So uh, early next year, we're going to be releasing uh, a national report that will include uh, kind of state components for uh, for each one of the states in the country with state level maps and uh, report cards about how each state is doing and helping to protect that land and keep farmers on that land so that's going to be a real big deal because yeah. right now um <laughs> the world in washington uh, may feel broken uh, in some ways from a policy perspective mm-hmm. and so states are really the laboratories for for farm and food policy in this country yeah uh so that is a big deal uh similarly uh the as I mentioned earlier, there are 25 states that have joined together in this U.S. Climate Alliance, um, essentially to make good on the Paris Climate Treaty. Uh, and those states are going to be the laboratory for action. Mm. And 2020 is where they've all promised to develop state climate plans. Um, and so the American Farmland Trust is is helping create tools for those states. Um, and then we are working in many of them uh, to help drive action forward. Uh, so if you care about climate change, you care about farms, you care about land, uh, there are some really exciting things that are going to be happening in 2020. And so we're, we're uh, really looking forward to uh, sharing some of those with you, Lisa, at some point in the future.
2: Great. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the show.
3: Lisa, it's been a real pleasure.
2: Thank you. Thank you. All. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe, rate, and share it. I'll see you next week.
0: This program is powered by Simplecast.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio.